0: If you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. A couple of things I want to let you know as you're turning there first off. uh, We were going to do the Lord's Supper today, but our Lord's Supper cups, all the juice and the crackers got delayed because of the snowstorm, and so they weren't able to get to us in time. So we're going to be doing that next week on the 13th, and it'll really tie into the passage we're going to be looking at in Romans next week. And so if you were uh, planning on that today, my apologies. And then second to that... After service today, right here in the worship center, in our center section, we have a VBS informational meeting. And so we have VBS coming up this July, first time we've ever done VBS in the history of our church, which is very exciting. And let me go ahead and tell you, um, you're thinking to yourself, should I sign up? Should I help for VBS? I'm not really sure. Um, Here's the qualification. You have to be breathing, all right? So if you're alive and you have breath in your lungs, you are perfectly qualified to help with VBS. You're like, I don't like kids. Join the club, all right? There's plenty of opportunity outside of working directly with children to serve at VBS. So this is a very much a all hands on deck kind of a thing um, because we want to serve these kids to the best of our ability, show them that Jesus loves them, that he wants a relationship with them. And so make sure you stick around for that. I read a statistic this week that blew my mind and I've heard this before, but sometimes you just hear something and it finally makes sense. 77% of people come to faith in Jesus before their 18th birthday. Think about that. A little over three-quarters of of people that are Christians today came to faith in Jesus before their 18th birthday. Um, Kids ministry in VBS matters. That's why we invest in the next generation, because so many of them will come to know Jesus before they turn 18 and become an adult. Uh, So I encourage you, encourage you, stick around for that and uh, get information on how you can serve in VBS. Well, let's stand together. We're in our series uh, that we've called The Genius of Jesus where Paul, through the book of Romans, is explaining the gospel to us and God's plan for salvation. We're going to start in verse 7 and read down through verse 12. God's Word says this. It says, To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. And God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word God, thank you for the gathering of the local church this morning. I'm gonna pray now as we walk through these verses that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Lord, would you use them to strengthen and encourage us today? Would you use them to teach us, Lord, to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus? God, may you give us ears to hear from the throne room of heaven today. God, may you give us receptive hearts today. Lord, Lord, casting off our, our cares upon you, Lord, because you care for us and you want to speak to us today. And God, would you give us willing hands and feet to be those who walk in obedience to the will of Jesus. God, we love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to read to us quickly a couple verses that we read last week, verses 3 and 4 from Romans 1, uh, to remind us of where we've been. Paul said this in 3 and 4. You can follow along in your Bible. He says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, And was appointed to be the powerful son of God. Remember that word appointed. It means he was um, shown to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection of the dead. That was the theme of the book of Romans. The theme of Romans is the gospel. Where Paul is giving the gospel to this church that he has not visited yet. And we're exploring these next couple of weeks Paul's introduction to this church. Six verses total that we see where Paul's explaining in the simplest terms that he possibly can what the gospel is, why the gospel matters. That Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became flesh for our sake, dying on a cross to be the sin payment for you and I, but he didn't just die three days later, he rose from the grave. Y'all know that's the best news you are ever going to hear. I pray all the time when I, when I am in my personal quiet time that I never get over the gospel. We said last week, like, I never want to get over what Jesus has done for me. I never want to get over that I was hell bound, but now I'm heaven bound, enemy of God, friend of God, sinner, now saint. Like, it's the greatest news that we will ever hear. If there's a Pentecostal church, some of y'all would grab flags and just start running around. But we're Baptists, so you stay seated, okay? You see, Paul, what's he doing now? And we're, we're going to continue to remind our, ourselves of some of these things. An introduction to a church, as we said a moment ago, he's, he's never been to. And he wants to make sure that they rightly understand the gospel that he preaches. Because Paul didn't know for certain if he'd ever make it to Rome. And so the gospel that he was given by Jesus, he brings clarity to, to these believers. And now in verse 7, he's still in his introduction, but Paul's making a transition now. The first six verses were the the meat of the introduction, the gospel, who he was, why he was writing to this church. But now he spends these next several verses through verse 12, commending these believers in Rome, that not only had they heard the gospel, and this is going to be good preaching, you ready? They haven't only just heard the gospel, but they've embraced the gospel. I can remember as a 15-year-old kid, I had heard the gospel for 15 years of my life, But the gospel does no good for your life and my life if we never embrace it and do something with it. It's just like any other news that we could ever hear. It doesn't matter unless you do something with it. And so now Paul is commending these believers because they've embraced the gospel. And it's changed the very fabric of their lives, changed their very being. And then Paul transitions in verse 13 next week. And he says, not only have you embraced the gospel but because I've embraced the gospel, it changed my life as well. Three points if you're a note taker. Put them in your phone. Write them in your notebook. Edge of your Bible. Or if you're really smart, you can just remember them this morning. Paul commends these believers for three things. I love this stuff so much. First off is this. He commends them for their position in Jesus. First off, for their position in Jesus. Paul never met these people We know, according to Romans 16, that there were some believers in Rome that were his friends, people that he had uh, acquaintances with in the past, but he never met the majority of the church in Rome. It begs the question for us, and we we briefly kind of scratched this last week, but I want to get into it today. Um, If Paul didn't start this church, we know historically Peter didn't start this church in Rome. Who started the church in Rome? How did it get there? How did all of a sudden there were not believers, and now you have this mass of people who are now believers in Jesus and they're changing the world. Where did the church come from? It begs the question. I got a theory. If y'all want to follow along, turn in your Bible just backwards, one book to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. If you remember Acts chapter 2, throughout the Gospels, Jesus' earthly uh, ministry, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And then Jesus, as was promised, the Spirit of God comes in Acts chapter 2, descends on the upper room. 120 believers were gathered. They were praying. They're like, God, we're trusting you. We know you're going to do something amazing. All the certain, sudden sound of rushing wind, tongues of flames over their heads. Like, I'm, somebody needs to make a movie out of this kind of a thing, okay? And then they were filled with the Spirit. They go and preach the gospel. And in Acts chapter 2, their church is founded. Because people are believing the gospel. But here's what's really cool. And I've never really thought about this before. Acts chapter 2, verse 10. It says that there were Romans present that day. Jews from Rome. Let me read this verse to you real quick. It says, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, they were present at Pentecost. So when the church is being founded... God in all of His sovereignty has people from Rome who were there. Acts 2 verse 41 says that after Peter gets up, he preaches the gospel. He's a fireball and a half. 3,000 people get saved in one foul swoop. Made Billy Graham look like a sucker kind of a thing. It was amazing what was going on at Pentecost. But there were people from Rome present. And here's what I love here. 3,000 people get saved, and I believe with all of my heart. Here's Aaron's theory, you can take this to the bank. We're standing before the throne room of God. If I'm wrong, the Lord will correct me. But I think this is really true. I think those news believers believed the gospel enough. They took it back to Rome and they used the gospel to change their world. A church was started by normal, everyday people who we don't even know their names. Paul didn't start the church. Wasn't Peter, wasn't John, wasn't Philip. Wasn't Andrew, it was none of those guys. It was normal, everyday people who believed the gospel enough and they were gonna let it be used, let them be used by Jesus to change their corner of the world. They believed the gospel enough. Despite what it would cost them, friends, don't miss this. Again, Rome was the pagan center of the world at the time. Like, if you wanted to know what paganism was about, you would go to Rome. You could see all kinds of mythological, and just all kinds of just nasty perversion going on at Rome. But you had these people that had went, and they were at Pentecost, they get saved, they come back and they say, we have found hope, and they founded this church despite what it cost them. You know that early Roman Christians were accused of two things most often, this blew my mind. They were accused first off of incest. You think, what, how? Because as Christians, we do this sometimes, brother so-and-so. Sister so and so. And they would, husbands and wives would, brother so and so, sister so and so. It just doesn't really work, right? And so those in Rome, non believers, pagans would accuse these people of being incestual. Man, we don't want to follow their God. They they engage in all kinds of perversion. Like, what are you doing? The Romans said, no, 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 we don't care. We're going to preach Jesus because that's not true. They were accused of cannibalism. How the heck were they accused of cannibalism? Uh, Remember the Lord's Supper we're going to celebrate next week? Eating of the body symbolically, drinking of the blood symbolically. If you're not in the inside of the church and the Spirit of God doesn't reside in you, I'm just going to throw this out there. It's a little weird. And the Romans were like, those people are gathering in groups and they're worshiping a God that they can't see and they're eating and drinking blood and they're calling one another brother and sister. What's wrong with these people? And the Romans are stepping back going, I don't know what y'all are saying about us, but it's not true. Can we tell you about Jesus? And God used everyday ordinary people to found this church. The one thing that blows my mind about this church is this side of heaven, we will likely never know the names of the men and women that got this thing started, but Jesus sure does. I love that so much. And so Paul now is commending these people, most of whom he've, he's never met for their position in Jesus. And notice what he says about them, verse seven circle the three words, loved by God. I love that phrase. The, the Romans had experienced the, the love of God that was shown to us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And Paul says, now, because you're loved by God, you have a new title, saint. Look again at that verse, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. In your Bible, if you, if you have the ability, right next to saints, it's a word that means the holy ones. It means the holy ones. A title given to those who not only heard the gospel, but have embraced the gospel. Now, here's what's so cool to me. If you can't tell, I'm a little excited about this passage. You're like Aaron, this is just the introduction. There's a lot of cool stuff in the introduction. Don't skim over this. Do you know that apart from Jesus, the scriptures are abundant and clear that apart from Jesus, your title and your identity is not saint. You know what it is apart from Jesus? Enemy. Enemy of God. Apart from Jesus, that's who you are. That is your primary identity. It's not your vocation. It's not where you live. It's none of those things. Your primary identity apart from Jesus is enemy. So Aaron, why does that excite you? I'm going to tell you here in just a second. i going me show you a verse, Romans 5, verse 10. For if, ready for it, is our identity apart from Jesus, while we were enemies. Apart from Jesus, we are enemies. But Paul reminds us in this one simple verse, in this introduction, that because of the gospel, my identity changes. My primary identity is not enemy of God anymore. When Paul was on the Damascus road in the book of Acts, he was a enemy of God. Those in Acts chapter 2, before they heard the message that Paul preached and they embraced it, they were enemies of God. But because of the gospel, we now see in Paul's life, he was not an enemy of God anymore. He was a saint. Those in Acts 2.41 that accepted Peter's message, they're no longer enemies of God. They're now saints. And Paul's reminding them, Romans, your identity has changed You're no longer an enemy of God, but because of the gospel that I preach to you in verses 1 through 6, you are now a saint. All right, begs the question, y'all, have we experienced that identity change? Have you embraced the gospel in your life so that you let the gospel identify you? I am so tired of people letting other things identify who they are. If you are a child of God, your primary identity is Jesus. And the means of that identity is the gospel. You are none of the other things that you try to allow yourself to identify with or what other people may try to put labels on you. No, no, no. You are a saint because of the gospel. And so Paul commends these believers in the very beginning because of their position in Jesus. They went from enemies to now saints. Then in in verse 7, he gives them two little familiar Greek and Hebrew phrases. There's not not a ton here that we need to digest, but let let me just cover these real quick. He says first to him, grace to you. And then the second little greeting there, he says, peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Two little side notes in that. Again, because of the gospel, we can experience the grace that God offers and we experience the peace that God offers. That's all I'm going to say about that. Point number two. So first off, Paul commends their position in Jesus to these believers. Then verse number eight, he transitions. Now he's commending them for their, their witness in Jesus, their witness for Jesus. Look at verse eight again. Paul says, first, I I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all of the world. You know, Paul, he's starting off here, and he's expressing gratitude for these believers. Side note, of all the letters that Paul wrote to different churches, do you remember the one church where he did not thank God for them? We spent 20 weeks in this book, so hopefully somebody knows it. Galatians. If you remember, Galatians was the one book that Paul wrote to, and he does not thank God for them. He actually kind of pronounces judgment upon them. He's like, y'all are messed up, and you need to figure this stuff out, because if you don't, goodness. But these people, these Romans, Paul expresses deep gratitude. And then look at verse 8. Circle the three words, all of you, not some of you. Paul says this entire community of believers was known for their faith. To the point, he says in verse 8, that the news of your faith is being reported in the entire world, and all the world, likely meaning the, the Roman Empire. Paul says, people are talking about the message that you're spreading. You guys are bought into what Jesus has done in your life, and you're telling other people about it. Your reputation precedes you. What you're teaching is spreading. Your city is being impacted because of you guys. Paul gave a similar encouragement, if you want to turn there quick, you don't have to, but to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. He said, for the word of the Lord rang out from you. It's similar language that he's using there. Your faith is being heard in all the world. The, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith has gone out. Paul's commending the Thessalonians and he commends the Romans for the same thing, that the gospel you've embraced is now ringing out from you and it's making a difference because you actually believe it. People are hearing about what you're doing and what you're saying. When I read this verse this week, it brought back some terrible memories to uh, early 2019 when we approached our church and we said, we got a really cool idea. Let's host an Easter egg hunt. (laughs) If you weren't with us back then, just to let you know, we originally were going to give away 15,000 Easter eggs at a park next to the school where our church used to be. Um, That transitioned to 17,500 eggs. That morning, I just have to recount this for those of you that weren't there. We had people in costumes. It was a great day. We had the fields all set up. We were so excited. I can remember it was about five minutes before the event. Pastor Joe and myself were standing over there. I looked at him, and there was maybe, maybe 60, 70 people. There wasn't very many people there. And I looked at him. And I said, man, this sure was a bust. What a bummer. Nobody showed up. I'm not kidding you. Five minutes later, if you were there, you know, thousands of people. It's like they just multiplied like rabbits. It was like there was no one here. They all were. And it was the most scary thing I've, I've ever experienced in my life. We, we estimate, I mean, thousands of people showed up. City streets were shut down. You couldn't get to the event if you wanted to. People walking in blocks. Somebody came up to Joe, and they said, I drove two hours to get here, and I didn't get any, get any eggs. And Joe's like, why did you come two hours to this? I don't understand. I can remember when I got up on the microphone and I misspoke. There were people running to the egg hunt, and I, I told them, I said, guys, hurry up. We're going to start in a minute. Go, go, go. The thousands of people interpreted that as go, go, go. 17,500 eggs gone in less than two seconds, scary. I had 10 moms come up to me literally screaming in my face, like, I can't find my kid, where's my kid? And you're sitting there like, two things, I don't know you and I don't know where your kid is, you know, but you feel terrible. Told our our team that was there, I said, every flag, A-frame sign, flyer, anything that has our logo or name on it, get rid of it, throw it in the truck. We went on our website, we shut it down, we deleted our Google listing, You couldn't find Living Hope if you wanted to. You come to church the very next week. We didn't put out flags or signs. We didn't want people to find us. It was the worst experience of my life. I say all that to say this. Six months after the fact, Joe and I were meeting with a local pastor in Dublin, where the church used to be. We met him for coffee down in Bridge Park. We'd never met this guy before. And he sits down, and he says something to the effect of both of us. He's like, so tell me about your church. And so we start telling him. He says, oh, where do you all meet? Oh, we met at Davis Middle School. He says, oh, that's cool. I said, yeah, like... And then he kind of pauses. He goes, wait, did you guys do an Easter egg hunt earlier this year? Yeah. what he says, yeah, I've heard about you. <laughs> you see, there's some things you want to be known for and some things, goodness, you just hope that you outlive them. But Paul's commending these believers for their faith. I mean, people are talking about what the Roman Christians were doing. I wrote down in my notes, I I imagine that they were saying something like this about them. They actually live and believe what they claim to live and believe. They actually live and believe what they claim to live and believe. They embraced the Acts 1-8 gospel. It begs the question, can that same thing be said about you and about me? Do we live in such a way that our lives have a marked difference from those around us, that the gospel rings out from us? Or do we look the same as those in our community? But then Paul, now he says, as a result of your reputation, he reminds him in verse 9, he says, I I pray for you all often. Notice in verse 9, Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. He's talking about in, in his prayers. Paul knew what God was doing through these everyday, ordinary people, and Paul prayed for them often because being a witness with the gospel and a hostile culture isn't easy. Heart of the Roman Empire, heart of pagan culture, and Paul says, I want you to be strengthened so that you don't give up on this message that you're preaching. I love this little phrase. Joe and I talked about it earlier this week in verse 9 where he says, God is my witness. I would circle that in my Bible too. That's the equivalent. The only way I can describe it, I'm a father of two girls under 10. The only way I can describe it is Paul's making a pinky promise with them. At our house, if our girls, like if yesterday, Sophia wanted to watch a movie, Colby wanted to play Barbies, so they compromised. And Colby looked at her. She said, we'll watch your movie, but you have to play Barbies with me after. And Sophia said, I'll do that. And the next word's out of uh, Colby's mouth, pinky promise. So they pinky promise. And then Colby says, now cross it. I'd never heard that before where you take both arms and you pinky promise both hands, apparently. And that really solidifies the deal. Like, we're in at this point. When I was was a kid, it was pinky promise, and then you kissed your hand. That's how you sealed it. But what's Paul doing here? He's he's pinky promising with them. Because he tells these believers, "Um, I'm praying for you, and I'm actually praying for you. Like, I'm not lying to you when I say, like, I pray for you often. Paul didn't just say, I'll pray for you. He says, no, for real, like I really am praying for you. Side note, (laughs) do we really pray for one another? I'll first want to raise my hand. I do pray for you all often. I write your names down and I pray for you very often. But how often do we, passing in a hallway, someone says, oh, this is going on in my family. I have this work situation. What do we say? I'll pray for you. And then we don't. I'll pray for you. And then we don't actually pray for him. It just got my brain kind of going a couple directions. I mean, Paul prays for this church. How often do we pray for our church? I mean, do we regularly pray for the ministry of what God's doing here? How often do we pray for the reputation of our church? I want our church to have a reputation like the Romans. I want our our church to have a reputation like the Thessalonians, that your faith is, is ringing out. How often do we pray that the faith of the believers in living hope would overflow from them? How often do we pray that the believers in this church would not grow weary, as John preached a few weeks ago, not grow weary in doing good? Because in due time, we will reap a harvest, whether this side of heaven or the next, that we remain strong. Let's add a few more here. How often do we pray for the unity of our church, the health of our church, the pastors of our church, the volunteers of our church, the finances of our church? How often do we pray for our church? I know in my heart, the Lord convicts me of this often. If I prayed half as much as I grumbled about this place, gosh, God could do a lot here. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I read this quote this week and it convicted me. (laughs) He said, y'all ready? Just be ready. He said, some churches would prosper better if some of you remembered them in prayer a lot more. we got to pray for our church. So Paul says that he commends them for their position, their saints. He commends them for their witness. Their faith is being told in all the Roman Empire. And then lastly, he commends them and he desires, he says, their fellowship in Jesus. You see, in verse 9, the first part, Paul was praying for the church specifically. And now in verse 10... Paul isn't referencing anymore these prayers that he was praying for them. Brother Paul says, now I'm praying for myself, actually, in regards to you. I'm praying for the opportunity to come to Rome, because he hadn't been there yet. And, and here's what I love. Paul was not praying, I want to go to Rome for your benefit. Look at verse 11 with me. Paul says, I very much want to see you. He wants to go see what God's doing here, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. You see, Paul could have very easily said, you know what? I'm going to go to Rome. I'm an apostle. I'm going to come I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to correct all your theology. I'm just going to come in there, set things straight, exert my authority, and then I'll head out. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, no, no, no. I'm going to use my spiritual giftedness to come to encourage you, to strengthen you, but my desire is reciprocal fellowship. Look at verse 12 in your Bible. That is, actually, I'm going to start back in verse 11. Very much, I want to see you so that I can impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you. Then verse 12, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I brought an illustration this morning. I don't. Seth brought out the balloon like a month ago. If y'all remember, he just kind of held it up and shook it. I thought that was cool. So I brought my own illustration this morning. I want to remind us of something in this verse. I think Paul gives us this illustration here. This is so important. Um, The local church isn't for us. you on the same page here? This church doesn't exist for you. It exists for the person next to you. What Paul reminds us here is he says, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. That what God has given me, these spiritual gifts that Jesus gives us, we, we see these throughout Paul's letters, they're not meant for us. No spiritual gift in the Bible is for one's own personal benefit. It's always for the person sitting next to you in the local church every time. So here's how Paul wants to, to deal with the Romans. And this is, I, I hope this will help you this morning. Sometimes we, we hear this, I come to church because I need to be filled up. I come to be filled. I need to, I need to, I can't serve because I got to be filled. I got to be filled up. I got to hear the Bible preached so I can be filled. That's not how it works. Did you know, congratulations, you can thank the printing press for this, that you have a Bible in your own hands. Wow. And we have the ability, as Jesus followers, throughout the week to open that Bible on our own. And we have resources available to us to help us understand that Scripture. Why? So this, the Spirit of God, can fill us up. If you only depend on an hour-long church service every week to fill you up, you're going to be sorely disappointed in your Christian walk because it doesn't work that way. So then here's what we do. you got this person that they get filled up by the Spirit of God, this person throughout the week, they're reading their Bible, they're listening to Christian music, whatever it is. Then we come to church, and this person has the spiritual gift of encouragement. This person had a pretty terrible week. So what does this person do? We fill them up, encourage them. This person over here, man, they just didn't get a lot of time in the Scriptures this week. Life got busy. She wasn't there. Well, this person just happens to be able to be sitting in the service that day under the preaching of God's Word. So We fill them up. Then you got this person over here. They're one of the sound people, so they probably didn't read their Bible at all that week. <laughs> just teasing. Love you guys. And, man, they're just they're rough. Life's falling apart. It was a hectic, hectic week. Work was terrible. Well, this person over here, man, their spiritual gift is prayer. So they pull them aside and they pray with them. And they pray with them. And they pray with them. You see, the goal of your Christian experience involvement in the local church is not to leave this way. It's to leave this way. Jesus saved us for our mutual encouragement. Not to come and just get filled. Again, the expectation should not be, I come to church so the pastors can pour into me. No, we are the body of Christ. God just has put the pastors in a position to help facilitate and to guide and to care for that body. But the body has all been gifted in different ways, in different ways by the Spirit of God. And we're here to encourage one another and pour ourselves out into one another. That's what we're called to do. So when Paul tells them, I'm coming to Rome to spend some time with you, Paul's not saying that from the avenue of, all right, I'm just coming to give to you. I don't need anything from you. Paul says, no, 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 so that we can be mutually encouraged. And I'm going to pour into you, and then you're going to pour into me, and then we're going to pour into someone else, and then we're going to be poured out for one another. We leave church poured out, fully invested in one another to go out and be filled, and then we come back and we do it again. Look at verse, I want to show you a verse real quick, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says, a manifestation of the Spirit, that's the spiritual gifts that Paul's referring to in verse 11, is given for each person, not for themselves. What's he say? For the common good, for one another. So Paul encourages them. He says, I, I desire your fellowship." In Jesus, But let's go back to the beginning. We're, we're done. Fellowship in Jesus, witness for Jesus. Where does that flow from? This is the most important aspect of Romans. It flows from their position in Jesus. If you want to get witness for Jesus and fellowship in Jesus, that's the two callings of the Christian life. To get those right, you have to first get your position in Jesus right. You have to believe that Jesus came in the flesh, died, resurrected for your sake, And you not only have to hear the gospel, but you have to embrace the gospel. And that changes everything for you. Do you have a position in Jesus as a saint? Move from an enemy to a saint? Have you believed the gospel and embraced the gospel in your life and let it change you? Because if not, nothing else in this is going to make sense. That's where it all starts. Can I pray for us as the praise team comes? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thanks for a few minutes in your word. And I pray that was encouragement to your church this morning. God, as we seek to be molded into the image of Jesus. God, if we're uncertain about our position in Jesus, Lord, if we've ever actually embraced the gospel, I pray in this moment that through a simple prayer, God, we would acknowledge that we're sinners, that we're enemies of God. That through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, we can be made saints. We can be made friends of God. God, I pray for our, our church. God, that our our witness would ring out in the various places that you call us where you send us as missionaries every week. God, that we would be the kind of body that pours into one another. God, not always seeking to just receive, but being the kind of body that's seeking to give, to pour ourselves out for the gospel's sake. Father, we love you so much, and I pray now as we sing that it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven.